Have you heard the one about the chicken and the pig? They were having a conversation one day. Actually, they were having a intense or an intense conversation, actually, because they had both just overheard the farmer and his wife saying that they were going to have ham and eggs for breakfast. I know, not your typical Adventist family meal. Well, noticing the nervousness, and rightly so, on the pig's face, the chicken asked the pig, what's the matter? To which the pig responded, well, ham and eggs for breakfast. For you, that's a contribution. For me, that's a total commitment. I'm sure God appreciates when we give him a contribution. But I'm more sure that what he's really after from us is total commitment. Where are you in your walk with the Lord today? Are you in a place where you're just giving a contribution? Or are you giving him full commitment? I was asking that very question to myself this week as I was studying Mark chapter 12, particularly when I studied the section where a teacher of the law asked Jesus, which of the commandments is greater? Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28? We'll also have the text on the screen. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus replies to this teacher's question by quoting that daily confession of Israel that's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, known as the Shema. The confession proclaims that God is their only God, and one is to love him with all of one's heart and soul and mind and strength. Talk about total commitment. And here we see God asking us to love him with our whole being. That's what the Shema was all about. From the deepest parts of who we are and everywhere in between, all levels of our life, we are called to love God. And then Jesus adds a second part to that, because one cannot love God in isolation from one's love of others. So Jesus couples the command to love God with the command to love one's neighbor as oneself which he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. Those who do not show love to others can hardly claim to love God. And I want to take a moment to affirm you, church family. If you're visiting with us today, a guest with us today online, I just want to let you know that we have a church family that has made a commitment for a long time to loving God and loving people. That is the mission of our church. In fact, that mission was one of the first things that struck me about you, church family, as we were prayerfully considering God's call to come to Calamasa. I also remember seeing this love for God and people carried out firsthand when I used to attend here as a kid at Calamasa Church. The various mission trips, outreach projects, the way in which I would watch you surround and minister to people, especially when they were 
hurting. And I've seen that this is still the case in the past months since coming here. So I know the message today may seem a little bit like preaching to the choir because loving God and loving people, that's what Calamesa does. That is what we've always prioritized. But if you're anything like me, you're not perfect, which means we can always use a reminder of this most important commandment, what we are to do as Christ followers. We can all use the reminder to not fall into the trap of being almost people. Let's keep reading in the text, and I'll explain a little bit better what I mean by almost people. Picking back up in verse 32, the teacher replies, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is the one God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbors yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this teacher says Jesus is right. He agrees that loving God and loving people should be the priority, that this is indeed the most important of all the commandments. And at this point, I would expect Jesus to reply something back like, glad you're on board. Glad you are truly one of my disciples. But instead, Jesus responds by saying something very intriguing. In verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. What an interesting thing Jesus says here. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Let me ask you something. Do you think that was a compliment? We usually take it that way. If someone says, you're almost there, you're you're not far, keep going. But I started thinking about so many instances in life where being not far was not good. I can remember You know, when I used to be involved with sports and really would root a lot for my favorite teams, how being not far was not a good thing, where sometimes you would just lose barely, like the ball would barely miss from going in the basket, or the putt would just lip out, or when we almost had enough points to win. And the loss almost felt worse because we were so close, yet not close enough. I got to tell you something that's taken some getting used to since being back here in Southern California, is the traffic that you sometimes encounter on the freeway, where you can be just a mile from your exit, but still a long ways away from actually exiting. And it's almost worse knowing that you are so close, but you still have to wait so long. Not far? Was that a compliment? or something to be concerned about. And the troubling thing to me is that this guy agreed with Jesus. He knows that loving God and loving people is the most important of all the commandments. He agrees that this should be what is prioritized. This would be the mission statement he'd choose for his church too. Yet Jesus still tells him, you're not far. I think this teacher of the law is teaching us that When we settle for just believing we should love God and others rather than living it, we are settling for being almost people. 
where we almost loved our neighbors, when we almost go on that mission trip, where we let Jesus have control over almost all our life, when we almost take the time to read his word and pray, where we almost start that ministry he's been calling us to do, when we almost take that new family under our wing, where we almost make that commitment to make sure our church felt like home to our youth and young adults. Almost. Almost. So how do we avoid being just almost people? How do we go from knowing that we ought to love God and love people to living it? Well, maybe it starts by allowing ourselves first to be loved. Like in this story of two people, two people who couldn't have been more different. One is a man, the other was a woman. He was looked up to, she was looked down upon. He was a church leader, she was a street walker. He made a living promoting standards, she made a living breaking them. He hosted the party, she crashed it may know who I'm talking about. The man's name was Simon. He was a Pharisee, and the party was at his place, and Jesus was his honored guest. But when Jesus arrives at Simon's house for dinner, Simon isn't much of a host. No customary courtesies, no kiss of greeting, no washing of his feet, no oil for his head. Or in modern times, no one opened the door for him, took his coat, shook his hand, Simon does nothing to make Jesus feel welcome. The woman who crashed the party, however, does everything that Simon didn't. We aren't told her name, just her reputation. A sinner. A prostitute, most likely. She has no invitation to the party and no standing in the community. But people's opinions didn't stop her from coming. Because it's not for them she has come. It's for him. Her every move is measured and meaningful. Each gesture extravagant. She puts her cheek to his, fate, to his feet, still dusty from the path. She has no water, but she has her tears. She has no towel, but she has her hair. She uses both to bathe the feet of Christ. She opens a vial of perfume, perhaps her only possession of worth, and massages it into his skin. And when Simon witnesses what's going on, he can't believe it. He's outraged. He begins to think to himself, just look at her, groveling at Jesus' feet, kissing him no less. Why? If Jesus knew who she is, he would have nothing to do with this woman. One of the lessons Simon learned that day was this. Don't think thoughts you don't want Jesus to hear. Because Jesus heard them. And when he did, he chose to share a few words, a few thoughts of his own. Here's what Jesus says to Simon in Luke's gospel. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied, go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. 
Now, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. You'd think Simon, of all people, would show such love. Is he not the reverend of the church, the student of scripture? But he is harsh, distant. You'd think the woman would avoid Jesus. Was she not the woman of the night, the town harlot? But she can't resist Jesus. Simon's love is calibrated and stingy. Hers, on the other hand, is extravagant and risky. Talk about loving God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. How do we explain the difference between the two? Is it training, education, money? No, for Simon has outshined her in all three. But there is one area in which the woman leaves him eating dust. She has experienced God's love for herself as she's experienced his forgiveness, his grace in her life. And she responds by loving with all of herself. And don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He isn't saying that Simon doesn't need to be forgiven as much as this woman. Remember, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us needs to be forgiven more than just a little. It's not that Simon shouldn't or couldn't be forgiven. It's that he thinks he doesn't need to be. So while she has ample love to give, he has no love to offer. In other words, Simon can't offer what he hasn't received. And the same is true for us. If we've never received love, God's love, how can we adequately love him, let alone others? If we want to learn to love better, we've got to allow ourselves to be loved better by God. I think it's going to be pretty hard to be just almost people if we're living loved by God. But I think it also will be hard not to follow through on the second part of that commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself if we are also living loved. Because once you start living loved, then you start to see yourself for who you are. You start to see yourself as God sees you, created in his image, as his masterpiece, created in advance to do good works. And when you start to see yourself that way, as you let God's love invade your life, then you will start to see others that way. That's how you will see them if that's how you see yourself. You will see them made in God's image as his masterpiece. And it will change the way that we love others.
That seemed to be the case in Scotty's story. I read his story uh, from John Burke's book. It has a great title. It's called Mud and the Masterpiece. I'd like to read Scotty's story to you. Scotty was born with spina bifida. The doctors told Sarah, his mother, to unplug life support when he was just a baby. The baby wouldn't survive a year, they said, but she refused. And Scotty did survive that first year, then the second, then the tenth, then the twentieth. But life wasn't easy for Sarah. She had seven sons, two who died tragically. In his twenties, Scotty's legs were amputated and became wheelchair-bound. The father abandoned the family, leaving them destitute and forcing Sarah to move into low-income housing without a wheelchair ramp for 15 years. Can you imagine? Scotty found himself confined to their apartment while Sarah worked. The new manager of Scotty's apartment, who is a church member of Pastor John Burke, who's writing this story, noticed Scotty. She had just started following Christ herself and was learning how God's Spirit prompts us to value those the world discards. Nudged, she took the risk to invite Sarah and Scotty to church one week. Sarah declined because they didn't have the right clothes, she said, but the manager assured her that you can just come as you are at our church. They did, and Sarah and Scotty kept coming. One week at church, another member there named Bill passed by Scotty and reacted in disgust, thinking, oh, he's just a nub of a man, misshaped head bent on the side, no legs. He steered clear to avoid the awkward feelings that erupted. Then Bill recalls, all day, God wouldn't leave me alone. I kept thinking about the value God placed on this deformed man who repulsed me, and I knew that God wanted me to meet him. Bill tracked Scotty down, seeking to help him, but Scotty helped me, Bill admits. God used Scotty's broken body to restore my broken view of a person's worth to God. Bill got Scotty involved serving with him on the grounds team at the church, and a strong friendship developed. Scotty had never been part of a team. He never had a job or felt like he had anything to contribute. Bill made him feel valued, an integral part of the church body. First thing, every morning at church, I would see Bill blowing leaves with Scotty monitoring around his wheelchair, picking up the trash beautifully in the courtyard for those coming to the service. When Bill learned that Scotty had never been out to eat, seen a ball game, or played a sport before because he couldn't get out of his house, Bill rallied the body of Christ and Scotty was included. Men with gifts of craftsmanship helped build a ramp at Scotty's apartment complex. Sarah joined in the hospitality team and began to feel like a valued member of the church's life. Soon, both Sarah and Scotty started following Christ, and I'll never forget, Pastor Burke says, watching Bill lift Scotty into the pool to baptize him. Two men washed clean and being restored. Another member of the church named Kate kept seeing Sarah and Scotty and sensing God also wanting for her to get to know them, but she kept resisting. One week, she said, I felt like God practically pushed me out of my chair to go meet them, Kate recalls, and she visited their house and realized the intensity of their situation and knew that God wanted her to also mobilize more of the body of Christ around this family. Kate and Bill 
connected and thus began something called Team Scotty. Since then, 20 people with different gifts and resources and abilities have helped Sarah plug into a support system. They've helped Scotty in numerous ways, one of which getting an interview for his first job and securing it. Others were training him on other kinds of practical things. Team Scotty threw Scotty his first birthday party ever on his 42nd birthday. Three years after his baptism, Scotty's earthly body finally gave out but not before bringing incredible glory to God. When I did the funeral, all the members of Team Scotty stood to talk about how God led them to serve Scotty. But what God did through Scotty changed them. Pastor Burke concludes with this statement. Can you be like Jesus, seeing the masterpiece through the most leprous, untouchable people and point out their value to God? Part of his restoration work in you is to help you call out that masterpiece in others. Not only does God use us to restore others, he will use others to restore what's broken in us too. This gets back to what it means to be created in the image of God, to love others. Use our creative imagination to see what God sees in them and call out their true identities. Family, I want to leave you with this thought and image. You'll never have a heart for people until you become a student of the heart, Jesus. And you can't become a student of the heart of Jesus if you settle for not far with him. It requires a proximity to Jesus that is much closer than almost. And I'd like to give you an image, leave this with you today, of what that might look like. Go with me quickly to the book of John. John chapter 13 and verse 21, Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he has just said that somebody is going to betray him. Let's read together John 13. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Hey, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now get the image here. They are reclining at the table, right? I feel like much of my parenting at mealtime involves telling my kids to sit back up at the table. That's what we do, right? We sit up at the table to eat, but back then they reclined to eat. And as Jesus was reclining at the meal, it says that John leaned back against Jesus. Can you see the image? Can you see the youngest of disciples resting his head on the chest of God? Who would be so brazen to think they could approach God so intimately? Here's this young man with his ear pressed against the chest of Jesus. And I wonder if while he was there, he bothered 
to listen to the heartbeat of God. I'll bet he did. I bet he lingered there. I get this picture of Jesus' chest rising and falling with his breath and John just going right along with it, not wanting to leave the comfort of that place. Hearing the heartbeat of God. Don't you wish you could be that close? You can. God wants you to be that close. Spend enough time on your knees talking with him, unhurried. Spend enough time immersed in his word and you will learn the heart of Jesus. It will beat as strongly for you as it did for John that day. In October of 2011, Gordon Yeager, 94 years of age, and his wife Norma, 90 years of age, died exactly one hour apart after 72 years of marriage. The couple left their home in Marshalltown, Iowa, to run some errands in town, but they would never make it back. A car accident sent the couple to the emergency room with many broken bones and serious injuries. They were quickly transferred to the intensive care unit, and they were both so worried about the other. Their son, Dennis Yeager, comments that she was saying her chest hurt, but what's wrong with dad? She kept repeating that. Even lying there, she was worried about dad, and his back was hurting him, but he kept asking about mom. Well, when it became clear that their conditions were not improving, that they were likely not going to survive the day, the nurses moved Gordon and Norma into a room, just them two together, with the beds up side by side so that they could hold hands. Not much longer after that, 3.38 p.m. in the afternoon, Gordon passed away first as the family they built surrounded them. Strange thing, though. The son was looking up at the heart monitor of his dad, who was no longer breathing, but the heart monitor was still beeping. Then the nurse noticed. Gordon and Norma were still holding hands, and her heart was beating through him. Family, I believe that Cala Mesa Church will continue being a place where loving God and loving people happens. If you determine to let Jesus' heart beat through you. If you make that choice, I promise you, you will never be not far. You'll never be an almost person. You'll be fully and totally engaged in a love relationship with God and his people. I will this world is nothing for me Cause I need you, Jesus To come to my rescue Where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved Capture
Let's pray. Lord, we want to commit today to loving you with every bit of who we are. And Lord, we're not perfect and we're not always going to do that perfect. But Lord, as we journey to try to love you with from the deepest parts of us into every corners of our lives to, to show that kind of love to you, the kind of love that the woman at, uh, at Simon's house showed you, love, uh, Lord. We're so grateful that as we try to do that, we, we can learn to do it better as we allow you to love us better, as we start to see ourselves as made in your image, as your masterpiece, as we start to accept your grace and forgiveness in our lives as well. Lord, may we be overwhelmed by your love so that we can learn how to return the kind of love that you ask for us back to you. And Lord, we also ask that you would help us to love others with that same kind of picture we have of ourselves, of having of them, that we would see them as your masterpiece as well. And Lord, really what we're asking is just to have your heart beat through ours. Lord, may we always stay close to you so that we start to live by the rhythms and the love of your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.